Hey guys, I'm Aubrey Nicole, an intuitive tarot card reader exploring mysticism, individual destiny, and transpersonal experience. This show is a mix of solo musings and guest interviews, covering topics related to spirituality, art, relationships, and personal development. Welcome to the Infinite Drop. And even the ancient Egyptians have this, that when you die, the goddess Ma'at, who is the feathered goddess, she's the goddess of justice, and she's going to take one of her feathers and weigh your heart on the scale. And if your heart is heavier than one of her feathers, then basically you don't get to pass go, you got to go <laughs> back and play some more of the video game. And uh, you need a light heart. And yeah, it's, it's that fool thing. And people are literally missing out on this superpower. How are you? How's it going? Oh my gosh, it's going so well. I Good. feel like the energies of 2024 are popping. Like, especially for an Aquarius, I'm just so happy right now. So I'm loving it. When's your birthday again? Is it coming up or did it already? It's coming February up. February right? 18th. Okay, cool. I'm cussing. Happy birthday season. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Well, let's get going. Let's do it. Christian is an expert astrologer on a mission to help the modern world integrate the ancient wisdom of astrology. With more than 10 years' experience in the field and a focus on serving the soul of humanity, Christian believes that enlightenment is practical and attainable for anyone who is sincere. He offers live consultations, astrology courses, and astrological counseling as a means of helping people remember who they truly are, reconnecting personality to soul, person to purpose, and mind to heart. His Instagram is packed with resources. He's an excellent writer. I love reading all of his captions. And he also includes these daily cosmic updates, and there's a Lightworkers channel you can join to connect with other people in the community. Christian, oh my gosh, reunited, and it feels so good. And it feels so good. Thank you for having me, Aubrey. It's so nice to be here. Oh my gosh. So I feel like we have to get into how we met and our sort of instant connection. We were in San Antonio in 2022. We were out there to hear from the Leo King, who's a super prolific evolutionary astrologer we both follow. And I have my memory, but I'd love to have you tell the story. Like, what do you remember about how we met and just the overall vibe at that conference? Yeah, man. Um, I love I love our energies together because we're polarities. You're an Aquarius. I'm a Leo. And real quick, you have a great voice for podcasting. So I'm so glad that you started a podcast. It sounds great. But we met Thank you. <laughs> we met in Texas. Um, yeah, at Leo King's event, also with um Robert Phoenix. And yeah, there's just a group of really, really eccentric people, but you stood out to me. I noticed you right away. I was like, oh, I'm gonna go meet her. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, we just, we just clicked right away and vibed and it was a great time. Yeah, it was, it was, um, Robert, it was Robert Phoenix, who's also an excellent, well-known astrologer and it was his harvest moon four. So it was the fourth edition of this harvest moon thing. He gets people together in San Antonio and it's an amazing time. It's an astrology conference. We're all at the same hotel. The Leo King came and, you know, he was there talking, but also DJed at night. So we had dance parties. It was just an amazing, it was an amazing experience. And just the connections I made that weekend and how they've changed my life is, it's wild with a capital W. Um, I, the, I could go on and on just the list of people I've met and who they've 
connected me to and where my life is now. It's absolutely, it was, it was divinely blessed. And I remember that both Robert and David, they both specifically said that they had held that conference during a time when the planetary transits were super potent. And I, I remember both of them referencing that we were almost in like a zone. I just remember both of them being so adamant. They're like, we are in a portal. And looking back over the last 15, 16 months, whatever happened, whatever connections were made there have created this incredible network of us that is just, I'm so blessed and happy that it happened. So me too. Well, it's becoming less common, but I still encounter it. There are people who still write off astrology. And it's actually shocking to me at this point, based on how incredibly precise all the predictions have been, like specifically over the past, let's say, seven to 10 years. I mean, we have astrologers like David Palmer, Leo King, who was predicting and yelling from the rooftops from 2017 to 2019. Yeah. And I'm quoting, he said, we would experience a global plague in 2020, but that its roots would be seeded in misinformation and not true disease. So I'm curious, what do you say to people who you encounter who don't, quote, like, believe in the work you do? Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it is mind boggling since we have so many pioneers in this field at this point. Um, you know, Nathaniel Grimm, he's, he's a really good one as well. Really good on the predictions. And we met uh, him out there at Harvest Moon 4. He's incredible. He's incredible. Yeah. He's got millions of followers on TikTok. Yeah, incredible. And there's... There's so many really good astrologers that are making accurate predictions. It is amazing that we don't have more people looking at it. But, you know, and I do I do the psychological aspect of astrology because when I was young, um, just got out of high school, I was really, I didn't know who I was and I was really lacking any sort of internal compass or knowledge of who I was. I was just a contradiction to myself because I'm literally both an introvert and an extrovert. And I just... There's just many different parts of myself I didn't know how to reconcile or integrate. So astrology was what helped me. But before I went to astrology, I went, I went through psychology very intensely. I took every personality test I could find. And none of them really helped me know myself as a soul. Um, it just kind of dealt with the surface layer stuff. So then I, I just asked, what's the most ancient knowledge we have? And it turns out it's astrology. That's the foundation of culture. It's actually at the root of all the religions. You know, this stuff has been proven, but there's a, there's a spirit inside of people that hates the truth. And there's also a spirit in certain people that loves the truth. But it really depends on that spirit. There's many reasons that they hate the truth. It's not just like they make the choice that, you know, there's many different things like traumas and or the pain of the truth that it brings. And so people, it typically comes from trauma you know, pains early on in childhood, so they have to protect themselves. And, you know, the very ways in which we protect ourselves are the ways that we shut ourselves off from the light to come in. So the walls around your heart that protect your heart are the same walls that imprison it. So people just need help. And luckily, we have more and more resources now through therapy and things like this. And that's why I focus on like astrological counseling. Because um, some people just need... Yeah, what is, what is astrological counseling? Can you talk about that? Sure. So basically, I sit down with a client and by reading their chart, certain things come up. You know, we work through, 
you know, whatever blocks or traumas that they're going through. And as a counselor, my main role is to hold space for the client to be in a non-judgmental zone. That's really the, the crux of all therapy is you, you, it's only a th- effective therapy if the therapist does not judge you. Because as soon as we sense that somebody's judging us and it's all intuitive and it's nonverbal and we can tell right away, trust is lost. So as long as there's trust and there's rapport, we can work through stuff because it allows you the space where you can feel safe to tell the truth. And by telling the truth about what you're afraid of or what you're insecure of or what you're struggling with, that's the process through which you start to disentangle yourself from it. Because I believe that the light inside of us, the light of our awareness, as we shine that on these things, we start healing it because that light is divine. So as a counselor, I just hold a non-judgmental space for them, right? And then by, by giving others the opportunity to tell the truth about the things they don't want to face because it's too painful, that's how they're able to grow out of it. Because I believe I'm a Christian mystic. I'm not, and I'm not a regular Christian. I'm way more on the mystical side. And I believe that the Bible is one of the best psychological books ever written once we start to interpret it in that way. You know, the story of Jesus is the story of all of us. And that's, that's why it's made such an impact on the, all around the world. And the light within us, your I am, is God. And that's why when we become more aware, we can shine the light on the dark parts of ourselves, and that's what causes us to integrate it. Even Carl Jung said that the, the best psychic hygiene we can do is just to know that we have a deep unconscious mind and to pay attention to what it tells us. Because every neurosis, every psychopathy is only serving the function of being a compensation for some way that we're out of balance with our conscious mind. And everybody thinks that your conscious thinking frontal cortex brain is running the show, and we know that it's not. So, but it really seems like it is. And so, with that conscious mind, we're judging. We're judging ourselves, we're judging others. And essentially, we're perverting this light of awareness by putting our mental labels on things instead of directly experiencing it and not judging it. And that doesn't mean we don't call out what's right and wrong. I love calling out what's right and wrong. That's called discern, <laughs> that's called discernment. And I believe that. Oh man, I've been learning discernment this year. I've been learning discernment. Big lesson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, what helps me to not judge is to know that the reason we have evil in the world and all this darkness is just because people are lacking that light for whatever reason. They can't see what they're doing. And because they can't see, they can't help themselves. And so, you know, protect yourself from evil, but don't hate evil because. Hatred is the problem. It's the evil. And, you know, once we learn to love our enemy, now we can really love. It's easy to love the person who makes you feel good all the time. It's hard to love your enemy. So I I believe in doing the hard thing. Wow. Wow. I have total chills. You just dropped so many bombs, but that's why you're on the show because you're (laughs) the bomb dropper. (laughs) And I knew you'd come on here and do this. So. Wow. So beautiful. You know, when I encounter people who still are like, I don't quote believe in astrology. uh, Again, I'm laughing. I'm not laughing at the people. I'm just laughing because to me, it's like such a crazy concept not to believe in. Right. Um, But I've kind of come up with this little analogy that I say, and it seems to open a little crack in the door into their thinking. And I just try to remind people of the concept of scale. 
And it's like, what if you went out in your front yard and the little ants that are walking through the blades of grass didn't believe in the effect of humans? You know, they're like down there in their little anthill homes. They're like, yeah, obviously humans exist. We can see them, but it's insane to think they like, affect us. Like, LOL, you know, LOL. Meanwhile, we're up here stepping on them. We're spraying pesticides. We're mowing the grass. We're tilling the soil, so forth and so on. And the same thing is happening with the planets, but at a scale that we were so little compared to these planets, these celestial bodies, these huge forces that we, it's just un, it's not something that we can comprehend because of the scale. For me, it's not so much that the planets are radiating this force, although they probably are. I mean, we can measure, you know, the radiations from the celestial objects. Even Venus casts a shadow when it's bright enough. But I see it more as we live in a holographic universe. So as within, so without. And the outermost, which is everything we see in the sky, the heavens, reflect the innermost. And it's like a reflection thing. So based on how we are utilizing the energies that we were given in our body, though the arrangements of the planets will, you know, show us what's going to happen. Like, for example, you know, nuclear war started as we started discovering um, these intense planets like Uranus and Pluto. And, you know, if we had peace on Earth, there probably would be no nuclear war and, and we would express the higher aspect of what these planets represent. But the astrology, because the ancients were so wise, have it's a perfectly laid out system for you to understand what you're working with, like in this video game of life, like what your skills are, what your assets are, like Mars. And it's so at the fabric of everything that it's mind-blowing. And I'll just point out Mars and Venus. Venus is blue. It rules everything blue. So the Venus system is named after Venus, Venus, and Mars is the red, the redness in the blood. Mars is the god of war, so it rules iron. So Mars literally rules the hemoglobin in the blood, which is the iron content, and it's what makes it red. And it's the artillery system. So artillery is also a word for things we use for war. It's the arteries, Aries. Mars rules Aries, so it's everything red, and so it's these these two sides of us, the red and the blue. Um, so that's you know, there. Wow, there's... and like the veins are blue, like the female, right? The yen is receptive, the veins. The mm -hmm. Mars is flowing through. I mean, it even mirrors like our anatomy. That's incredible. I didn't know that. That is yeah. so cool. Exactly. Damn. Yeah. That's so awesome. At, as above, so below. The ancients would call it the cosmic man, you know? And by studying the cosmos, they could understand us, the human being, because all the planets are inside of us as distinct instincts or centers of energy. They correspond with the chakras. And so, yeah, it's about understanding our anatomy physically, but also metaphysically, spiritually, like how our soul is put together and how we can use it to express ourselves. And so I think fulfillment has to do with how much of that soul are you really allowing into your life to be expressed via the personality or how much are you using the personality as this mask to rigidly, you know, stifle those energies. Because the personality is just the bridge between you and your world. And the personality is the, is the way for the soul to be revealed because it masks it, but it also reveals it. 
because the soul needs to take on a form. So fulfillment is directly correlated to that, I think. And the birth chart is this amazing thing that God gave us where now we can have a map. We can literally see what all the different parts of us are, which are the planets in your chart. And we can find out which ones are struggling with, which, with other ones. So, you know, for example, if you have Mars square your moon in your chart, this represents that there's a conflict between your Mars, which is your assertive side, your instinct to take action, and your moon, which is your emotions, your deepest, most sensitive self. And so those are in conflict. You're fighting your emotions. Um, and that can look many different ways, depending on what sign it's in, what houses it's in. But through the ways that you've struggled fighting your own emotional nature, this is this is causing you to build such a skill and a strength around being, you know, fiercely expressive with your emotions. So every weakness is a strength and every strength is a weakness too. So the chart reveals the parts of you that come naturally. And so because it comes so easily to you, you know, through trines or sextiles, you don't work on it as hard. It doesn't engage your awareness as much because you're not struggling with it. So then it becomes a weakness. So the chart allows you to come into balance. It's the best psychological tool ever invented. And it's not even invented. It's given to us by, by God, by uh, the ancients. And what, what an amazing tool to integrate all the different parts of us so we can become whole. I think you just went there because you actually opened the door for another question that I have. On the homepage of your website, you have this very cool feature. And I just mentioned this for anyone who tracks the movement of the stars in a more serious way. So if you have a little bit of a background in astrology, this might be cool for you. But um, Christian, you have this real-time clock, and it shows the exact planetary positions at any moment in time. And it's so rad. It's just like basically like a clock you would look at on your wall, but it's showing the degrees and you know of each planet, where they're at, the placements. So my question is, for people that know a bit about astrology, how can they use that clock alongside their own birth chart to make meaning for themselves? Yeah. What's the process of that? Yeah. I mean, this that would be kind of, I'm trying to think on a beginner level because that would be a little more intermediate. You'd have to understand where all your placements are and how the signs interact. But the most basic level is where you have the majority of your planets in what element. And that's going to tell you the energetics of your soul and your personality in this life. Like I'm mostly fiery. So I just go and I just roll and I just, I'm in the moment and it's impulsive. And I've struggled with that because I have other parts of me that are more watery and more laid back. And those parts really judge that fire. So I've, I've, I've learned to smooth that over. So that's the, really the, the meat and potatoes of astrology when it comes to personality understanding, because this is interwoven in our language. You know what it means to be fiery. You know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I have just... a ton of fire in my chart. No surprise to anyone that knows me. I've got Aries, Virgo. And my Aries are it's like Aries and Mars, Aries and Venus. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of fire there, a lot of fire and air. If you yeah. know me, I talk a lot. I move fast. Like So here's how you would use that. If you're a fire sign, air will encourage you. So if there are planets and air signs, that's going to pick up your flames and, you know, fan the flames of your energy. And same if you're an air sign, the fire is going to encourage you. Um, if you're a water sign, it's earth that's going to support you. 
So that's how you would use that. And then when we're in times where it's heavy in water, a lot of planets are in water signs and you're a fire sign, you're just going to have to kind of understand that your your fire is probably, probably going to be dampened a little bit and you're going to have to get into your emotions, but that will create steam, which will create a lot of productivity. So that's how you would use that. I love that. I love that. What I have been loving about life since 2020 is just how far our perceptions and awareness have been expanded around the concepts of what is truth. For me, like, wow, I've really, really had my eyes open to how literal dimension, I'm going to try to say this right, dimensionality is, like the concept of dimensions. It's, I'm living it every day. There are people living in totally different frequencies on the same planet. And it's just interesting how we almost are getting to a point where you can't see each other. And I don't, I'm not trying to say that in a negative way. I'll give an example of an entity rather than a person to maybe make this more tangible. But I've lived in the place I live now for 15, 16 months. And I live right off a main thoroughfare, like a main road. And there are a lot of um, restaurants and fast food chains and things like that. And again, I've lived here 15, 16 months. This is a couple blocks from my home, a street I'm on, if not every day, every other day. And I was driving down it a couple weeks ago and right by my house, I was like, did they just put a subway in? What the heck? And it's just that subway is not something I eat. And it's not, uh, for me, it's not an option for something I will eat. I'm just, I don't know that the food is, it feels really processed to me. That's my experience of it. You don't like eating plastic? I don't eat, I don't eat, I don't like eating plastics. And no, you know, no shade if you like Subway. I worked there when I was 14. I was a sandwich artist. You can learn more about that in my first book, which is for sale at avantbooks.com, available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. That book came out 15 years ago. Oh my God. Um, (laughs) But anyway, no shame if you eat Subway. I just went on a tangent there. But the point is, the frequency that I'm in and that I'm so deeply entrenched in is that even when I'm hungry, that is not an option for me. And so it just blew my mind. If someone had said to me, do you live near a subway? I would have said, nope. And they would have said, are you sure? I've got $50,000 for you. Are you sure? I'd have said, no, there's no subway by me. That's how out of my, my range it was. So back to the question, you know, I've been loved with all of the chaos and unearthing and drama that's happened in the last four years, because we're four years in now at this point, which is crazy since the change, let's call it the great change, the great awakening is what it really was. (laughs) Um, Some people are maybe privy to that a little earlier than others, but it was just a big wake up call. And so for me, it's opened my eyes to this concept of dimensionality and that we are living in these different frequencies and that we can choose those frequencies from minute to minute. And that's not some like new age BS, like, oh, you'll live in love and light forever. I mean, we, it's not to say you don't continue to experience the spectrum of human emotions. It's just that those emotions tend to take on a bit of a different quality once you become more aware of your ability to manage that kind of like frequency bubble. I don't know how else to call it that you want to play in. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of hard moments this year, but 
there was this expanded level of awareness that allowed me to zoom out and experience it in a different way. Not that things weren't difficult or painful or challenging or frustrating, but I just experienced it differently. And so I'm just curious for you, like what's one or two things that maybe you've had your eyes open to in the last four years? <clears throat> yeah. Well, I love what you said there because, you know, identity is what's, what it's all about. Like one of the central causes of anxiety is because your identity is not aligned with your values. And so then we have anxiety or depression. Um, you know, the way you're going to quit smoking is once you fully install the understanding that I am not a smoker. I'm just not somebody who does that. Once that identity is installed, it's going to be so hard for you to smoke, regardless of the, of the chemicals, because the true source of all things is our consciousness. That's God. And, you, you know, we just live in a world, honestly, that has forsaken God. And so we're just going to suffer because we've betrayed ourselves. And, you know, it's a part of the design currently that religion has done because they've made us all believe for thousands of years. I mean, this has been long, a long construction project of us thinking we need a mediator or we need somebody to explain God to us. What I've discovered is that the more, the closer I've gotten to God, and I've gotten really close to God over the last four years, I forgave my parents. My heart was wiped clean of all of its anger. I finally have peace. I, and I know that I have peace because I never had peace. <laughs> so I know what it's like to be in conflict and turmoil. So I really have peace. I didn't know this was possible. And it's just because I forgave. I realized I was projecting. Anger is the most dangerous projection because you're really angry at yourself and you're blaming it on others, thinking you're mad at them. And we just... Can, we I, can you talk about that for just a little bit? Because I think that's something that people can get stuck on where it's like, wait, why would I be mad at myself? They fucked me over. Why would I be mad at myself for that? Like, Can you talk about that distinction or that nuance just for people who maybe are newer to this concept? Sure, Absolutely. But just to wrap up the God thing, you know, God is the source of my manhood. It's what allows me to be stable and to rely on myself and to do what I got to do. And I think God is also the source of your womanhood and all your feminine creative power. We just don't, we see God as some sky daddy, but I, I, I experience it as the source of my life, uh, really my heartbeat. And God is more real to me than anything on this earth. Everything here is temporary, changing, fleeting. It dissolves. God has never changed. And I have memories when I was a baby. God was there with me. God's here with me now. And it's so amazing. And I would, I just, I, I, you can't, I can't explain God to anybody. You have to experience it for yourself. So that's the one thing I want to encourage everyone to do. Drop all your ideas, all your mental stuff that you have about God. Drop it all and just go right into your heart. You'll, you'll know what I'm talking about because it's in you. And then once I, we do that, the world will get better. Huh? I love I love that you just said that part about like God not being the sky daddy. Like you don't need an intermediary to get there. And that's something that. No. Yeah. It's because I think people hear the word God because it's been politicized and it's, you know, the word God, the entity has been just drugged through the mud and it's intentional. 
That is in, that is happening intentionally. And if you study history and you study the power of words, you know, vocabulary, things like this, you'll understand why it's happening. The more you dig in, the more you start to see the connections between that's for that's all for a whole nother episode. I'm going to just zip it right there. I will get in trouble, but I love that you said that you don't need an intermediary because that's the key, that's the critical key and God then becomes this very it's a it's a very personal relationship that you have with like you said the life force that's flowing through you the life force that animates you our breath for me and i've thought this for so long it's our breath is god it's in and it's out it's you know big bang black hole big bang black hole each breath over and over. And then again, the cosmos is on a scale we can't understand. So it's a breath in, big bang, a breath out, black hole, over and over. I love that. Absolutely. And- 100%. Um, one more thing. You, people who are listening, you could try this. This, this might help you contact God within you. Um, when you're in meditation and you're sitting there watching and just inquire, ask, who is watching? And of course, you're going to respond, I am. So that I am, that thing that just answered back, that's your God. And it's this presence and it's at the core of you. It's the one thing you can never get away from. It's the one thing that's never going away. It's eternal. That's the thing you can rely on. That's God within you. And so just, that's a little mystical, but try it. Try it yourself late at night before you go to bed and you'll see. Um, if we can tie that back, loop that back, the thing with the, um, you know, you're mad at somebody, you're really mad at yourself. Can you break that concept down like a little nuance? Because you have every right to be angry at somebody if they're, you know, they've screwed you over. If somebody comes over and kicks you in the leg, yeah, of course you're mad at them, right? So can you talk about anger with, let's example that simple so that people can understand the idea of projection that you talk about? So when it comes to anger, you know, I think we're really mad at ourselves because we could be mad that a pattern's repeating. Oftentimes it's like we just hit a breaking point and then we get angry because somebody keeps treating us the same way over and over and we're just so fed up with it. And it's like, why does this keep happening? I think we're mad at ourselves because we keep allowing this pattern to happen or on a on the deepest level possible, it's just an inner conflict with yourself. You're not really in conflict with the world. Because after I forgave the people who I was really mad at, which was my mom and my dad, I just resented them for certain reasons. And I realized I I had become just like my dad, who was impatient when I was young. And that's what made me hate him. Because as a little Leo boy, I'm like, why can't you love me enough to just be patient? I didn't realize he had his own stuff he was dealing with. And, you know, he was raised by a single mom. And so... by seeing that I had the same anger, the same impatience that he did because I resented him, I realized I was getting, I was getting back what I was dishing out. I was judging, therefore I was being judged. And it was all this internal thing. And Carl Jung, great psychologist, he talks a lot about this, that everyone exists in our psyche. So people have to pass through your perception. You're never really seeing the full real person. And that's why we got to forgive. So if somebody comes up and kicks me in the leg, 
I'm going to deal with that person. Trust me. But am I going to get angry? No, I'm not going to give them that emotional power. I do have the right to get angry, but I've relinquished that right because that right was causing me to fall into turmoil and inner conflict. And anger is like, there's a quote, I think it's by the Buddha or something. It's like getting angry with somebody is like drinking poison and expecting them to get sick. So I'm not going to spike my blood pressure. I'm not going to stress like that because anger destroys you. It's the fires of Mars. Mars rules anger. And it causes you to get all up in your head. Aries is the sign ruled by Mars. And Aries is the sign that rules the head. And it fills you with all this energy that you can't see what's going on. You just see red. And so you lose your power as you get angry because when you get angry, you're giving that emotional energy away to the person that and you, you think And you can feel that happening at. in your body physically. You can feel it. So again, exactly. once you get sensitive, some people would say, that's crazy. Once you become very sensitive and start knowing your body very intimately, you can feel, you can even feel where, you know, everyone's very different. Our bodies are very different, but we'll hold anger or sadness or whatever in different areas. I mean, just right now in that moment, I just realized my stomach was super tight. I'm like, why is my stomach so tight? And I just took a breath and it's like, ah. and I don't have to know the reason why, but it's like, for some reason that was happening, but it's blocking prana. It's blocking energy as we sit here. So right, love that. Love that and, explanation. Yeah, absolutely. And the reason these patterns patterns keep repeating is because you're we're putting our emotional energy into them. And so whatever we bring awareness to it repeats or, or not just awareness but emotions into it, which means there's an attachment the pattern will repeat until we forgive and then when you walk in forgiveness meaning don't hate anyone don't get angry anger is really hatred we just change the word to make it soft and then we changed it to resentment to make it even softer <laughs> but it really is mm -hmm. hatred you hate you hate the person who just kicked you in the leg and that's only going to hurt you so when you don't hate them, when you deal with them in a loving way, your boundaries are going to be solid. And you're going to notice that the patterns in your life, they really stop because it's hard to have boundaries if you're getting anger, angry. There's nothing reactive it's, that it's able to bounce off of at that point. And not to say, I mean, this is my perspective, right? I, I definitely feel like it's good to feel those initial emotions when they come in. Let them go through, let them wash through, and then... Mm -hmm. Like you're saying, do your best to come back to, even if it has to be logical at first, come back to an expanded awareness of how is this going to affect me? Get really selfish in that moment if it's an emotion that is not a great one. Like, how is this going to affect me? And try to operate yeah. and deal with it from that perspective. Again, it has to be somatic. It has to be something that's really in the heart. You can't just saying something, you know, saying words of affirmation, I am not angry or I am, I am fine. I feel great. Like you can do that and it will help a little bit, but it really does have to be on a somatic level. So it, it does. And you have to allow yourself to feel the anger, but you got to understand the way that evil works in this world and evil works through people. And so when it works through people, the only way people can get you is if they can control your emotions, which is what, you know, this is how they have control right now through the media and through everything. They got your emotions. You need to take that power back. And that starts with anger is the best one to work with because it's so pronounced. It's so obvious. But the only way that an evil person can get you is if they can, one, make you angry because now they've lowered your consciousness. Now you can't see what's going on. And you have an emotional attachment to them 
on some level. Or two, if they can intimidate you, anger and fear. So if they can make you angry, they got your emotions on a string. If they can make you afraid, then you'll probably do what they want you to do. And the only thing that will cast out fear and anger is love. Love would cause you to deal with them from your own strength and to put down a boundary that would last, you know? So mm-hmm. we need love. Love is literally the solution. Love your If somebody comes up and kicks me in the leg, I'm going to love them, but I'm going to restrain them. I'm, I will deal with them very directly and it's not going to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> Christian, you just have a way of getting yourself to the next question, um, which I love. You are that answer. I'm so um, grateful for it. I still have a bit of way to go on that. There is just something that's been in me since I was a child where I am a very strong fuck around and find out person. And I laugh. I say this with a laugh because anyone that knows me for any length of time is like, watch out. Like you do not want to get on her bad side. And it's something I'm working on trying to smooth out. Um, I am better at it than I was. But back to you. The reason that I love that you just brought that all up, it's just so hopeful and um, positive and in the light. And what I was going to ask next was about the sun card in tarot. And that's because I'm talking with you and you very much embody for me ever since I met you, uh, ever since I met you, you just embody the qualities of the sun. And we know, you know, there are tit for tat exact replica features and elements that correlate astrology in every major religion. You brought that up earlier too, of course. So for example, we know the correlation of all these major celestial events and the planetary alignments. We know that all of these celestial events, they correlate to the day with all the days we celebrate our religious holidays. It's not, oh, they're close. It's an exact replica to, you know, like I said, tit for tat. So I want to know what your perspective is on the sun and its importance to your work, besides the obvious of it's being our source of life, right? The energy that comes from the sun. Like, do you believe, for example, the sun of God is just a euphemism for the sun we see in the sky? Is it a way to humanize something that's of such an unfathomable scale? Or do you believe that both entities and concepts live in a parallel space where there is both a son of man and a son in the sky that are serving very similar purposes in our lives. Hmm? What a fun question. Oh my God. I'm so excited. Okay, let's go. So first of all, I meditate on the sun all the time. I see myself as the sun. When I visualize myself, I visualize a lion and I visualize a sun. And there's a weird mental law. Whatever you focus on, you will t- start to have those physical qualities. That's why I got these fangs, I'm pretty sure, because the lion's been my favorite animal since I was a kid. Um, yeah, and I have a friend who loves lizards, and he kind of looks like a lizard. I'm not going to lie. but He's starting to have that reptilian look. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. So be, be aware of what you dwell on in the mental <laughs> realm. Cause, uh, so, you know... That's crazy that you meditate and imagine yourself as the sun. I did not, by the way, I did not know that before this episode. I just literally was going through the cards in the major arcana, this whole season one, 22 episodes with the major arcana. When I, you know, when you agreed to do the interview, I was like, oh, he's the sun card for sure, because that's your vibe. And to know that you meditate on that and want to be like that archetype 
uh, your meditations are working. Oh, 100%. So are yours. Wow. <laughs> so is everyone's. It's just a lot of people are unconsciously, they're not aware of what they're meditating on. But yeah, people, it, it does work. People tell me all the time. I go like, you know, if I had an aura, what would it be to you? What, what do you see? And they say it's gold. And I'm like, you're correct, because that's what I visualize around me all the time is this golden aura. By the way, a really cool trick you can use, something I do, I extend the aura to the ends of the universe so that there's nothing that my light is not touching. And that's really powerful, I think, if you'll do that, if you'll include everything in the universe, you know. Um, wow. So but I'm extreme. But. So the sun is this orb, and the light is radiating in all directions, on all dimensions. So when that person kicks me in the leg, love is, I see you. I see you. And I see what you're doing, and maybe I see why you're doing it too. And that's love. Love is, hey, I see you for who you are and what you are. I have pure acceptance for this evil person who just really hurt my shin by kicking it. But if I get angry, now I can't see them. So now I'm at a disadvantage. If you're in a fight, like a real physical fight, and you get angry at your opponent, you're going to lose because now your emotions are involved. And love is not an emotion. It's an awareness. It's a lifestyle. So that's why I love the sun because it sees in all directions. And there's certain things I don't see. I have limits, you know, with my little human brain. But I accept that. I, I also accept that, you know. And so, of course, yeah. So, do you do you believe like or like what are your thoughts? Like, is there a son of man and a son in the sky? Because they do like you are an astrologer for you said twelve years, so you know you know what I'm saying. And if you're not familiar, just do a little Google search, go on your own little rabbit hole deep dive. It's absolutely fascinating. Every major religion, all of our holidays, the major figures even take on qualities of you know Jesus and the twelve apostles, and you look at the image of the Last Supper, and there are very celestial <laughs> astrology themes baked in. Um, but I'm just curious with your belief system, right? The one we've been talking about today. Is there a son of man and a son in the sky? And what's that relationship? Yeah. And I love this question. So yeah, it is an astrological story. The Christ dies on the cross, which is the sun, dies on this wheel of time. Because of the cross, which are the equinoxes and solstices, we have the sun, which goes through a death, but then it goes through rebirth. So it dies December 23rd, and it's in the tomb for three days, meaning the sun's at the lowest ebb in the southern region, and it seems like it's not coming back. It seems like for us in the north, it's over. But then, December 25th, the sun's reborn, and we start to see it return northward, which means life for all of us. It means it means we're saved. And so, yes, this Christ story is an allegory and it's astrological, but it's also literal. And I'm somebody who just says, why can't it be both? Why can't it be the best story ever told, revealing the fabric of our reality? Why? Because there's a lot of evidence showing that, yeah, there was a real guy and his name wasn't Jesus when he was on the earth, when he was walking around, his, his name was something closer to Yahshua. Uh, so they've changed his name because the letter J is only like 250 years old. Um, and it used to be a Y. So, and, and Jesus comes from Jesus or Jesus, which is Zeus. So everything's been kind of muddled and stuff, but they, we can't get away from this, this archetype of the savior. We just can't get away from it. So 
I think it's literal. I think it's allegorical. I think it's metaphorical, symbolical. I think it's all of them. Um, and in esoteric literature, which I'm a huge nerd for, there's this book called Spiritual Astrology by Master E.K., one of the best books you can read on astrology. It talks about how the sun is a reflection. It's a physical reflection of an invisible sun whose center is everywhere and circumference is nowhere. And so I believe that this is hinting at the fact that there's a sun inside of every human being, their source of their life, their inner I am. And the sun in our sky is a reflection of this true, it's called the central sun. That's what they call it in the occult. So everything physical is a reflection of an invisible principle. And so, yeah, I say yes. The Christ story is allegorical, but it's also literal. I think it really happened. Um, <laughs> and we're all saved. We just have to accept the That's gift and very, stop judging. That's all very sun-ish of you. Like, it's everything. We're all saved. I love it. I love it. Uh, <laughs> continuing on with the sun card. Again, in the tarot, and that's what I'm referring to, the sun card and a deck of tarot cards, it's marked number 19 in the major arcana. And being included in the major arcana means that the energetics of the card are considered to be one of the great mysteries in our path on the hero's journey of life. Major arcana, there's 22 cards and um, Jungian psychology, which you know very well, obviously being a counselor, um, you know, this, this zero, the, from the zero card, the fool through 22, the world is the path of the hero's journey. It's a, it's all of the uh, milestones that hopefully we are reaching in our life and not, there's kind of one overarching hero's journey, right? That can sometimes be foretold or hinted at with our birth chart. Why are you here? Your karma. But then we also have many hero's journeys throughout the path. And so I'm quick question, Christian, because I don't know this about you. Do you know much about the meaning of the tarot cards? And if not, that's fine. But I wasn't sure if you knew much about tarot. Um, I, I can handle it intuitively because I know numerology and I know that the four suits, like swords is air, pentacles is earth, wands are fire. What are your so. thoughts on the sun then? Like what, what are your thoughts on the sun card? What number card is that? It's 19. Oh, wow. I love that you're going to, of course, you're going to numbers. That's what is like in my head right away. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah when, I mean, you, when you see the sun card in the traditional Rider Waite Smith deck, you'll see, um, of course, the sun is outshining. It's a beautiful day. And you'll see a young, it looks like a toddler, maybe a two, two or three year old. Um, and they're, you know, they're naked and they're riding on the back of a horse through this field and they look so joyful. And that's the energy of the sun card. Yeah, it's um yeah. I I think it's a card of new beginnings but also the transcendent of the beginning and the end because it has the first number 1 and the last number 9 and what does it add up to? It adds back to 1 cuz 9 has this energizing power whatever number you add to 9 it's going to be that number. So 7 plus 9, 16, 1 plus 6, it comes back to 7. And so the sun card is this, hey the alpha and the omega is the and so yes yeah, wow what, what a beautiful you just nailed it for being not a tarot card reader you just nailed it you have passed tarot 101 um, at moksha <laughs> destiny the school of moksha destiny so yeah the sun is truly it, it really is um a symbol of revelation and revealing truths it can also 
course, indicate feelings of joy and lightheartedness. It's in a line, actually, of three celestial body car. 18 is the moon and 19 is the sun. They all follow 16, which is the dreaded tower card moment that no one likes to see in a reading. And so looking at the numbers on those cards, you, you took it there and I'm glad you did. And what they represent, the tarot is incredible when you study it deeply. It's a deck that was created on ancient esoteric wisdom, numerology, um, yeah. knowledge emerging from secret mystery schools. It's, it's definitely encoded the same way that the 52 card playing deck is encoded with ancient uh, magic alchemical symbols from the order of the Magi that we can trace back to Egypt and many people think go back to the times of Atlantis. So let's take the star card, number 17. It reduces to eight when you add the seven and the one. And the number eight forms the infinity symbol and shares the promise of rebirth after death. That, of course, comes after the tower card when you've died. And, you know, there's, there's a falling down that happens with the tower card and the falling down in the tower results from karmic outcomes. It's not like the death card. The death card is a natural death that, and everything is natural, but the death card would represent something naturally kind of coming to a close, coming to an end. The tower is, it's got a bite. It's got a bite and it's extreme. It's, you know, something coming down, like I said, because of some kind of karmic outcome. And it's number 16, and one plus six is seven, the highest spiritual number. So, of course, that attaches to the idea of karma. And we go from the star, we then move to the moon. And the moon card is number 18, which reduces to nine, the number of destruction and isolation. It's deep subconscious. It's shadowy. Uh, we move from the night to the day at that point, and we awaken to sunlight, sun card number 19. And like you already said so beautifully, it reduces to 10. When we reduce that down again, we get to one new beginnings, and we see these patterns emerging and following the cycles of nature. Numbers and the ability to decipher them is, it's just so critical in the tarot. It's foundational. It's critical in our lives to start looking at these deeper patterns and meanings, because when we find them, we can start following natural cyclical patterns that really give us these superhero powers. I mean, you have that real-time clock on your website. If you learn a little bit about astrology, you can figure out based on your own makeup when it's the best time for you, you individually to do something. Not, hey, every Aquarius should do this, or hey, it's no use specifically based on the degrees that a planet is at. How is this going to affect you? And Going back to the numbers, though, the sun card reduces down to the number one. And then you look at what's the first card in the major arcana? The fool, which is labeled zero. And then, and wow, aren't they very similar cards? You know, they're both bright, cheerful, excitable energy. It's marked also by naivete and um, youthful ignorance, let's say. And everything's connected. And so, just what a, it's like, just, it's beautiful, this procession of the storyline and the cards. And we're given, when I think about it, it's just so beautiful that the cycle, it's baked in. It is absolutely baked in. You know, we're given hope. We're given promise that after every dark night of the soul, we will be returned to a youthful, hopeful state just in time for the final alignment known as the judgment card 20. I consider that a card of alignment, not necessarily, it doesn't have to be as harsh as judgment. But, you know, we go from sun, you're returned back to hope after the tower's fallen. You've gone through your dark night of the soul, the sun is back, 
you get to alignment, and then we step through that final completion portal. As seen in the world card, you see a woman stepping through the victory wreath. I see it as the birth canal. And she's looking back through the portal where she came from, but stepping into the future. And she's about to fall into that that liminal space, the zero point, the fool, which is labeled zero. And then our journey begins again. And uh, we conjure up a new journey in the magician, number one. So yeah, it's all of these studies, these studies that, thank God, they weren't totally forgotten or lost or, you know, these books weren't burnt. This knowledge wasn't forgotten, you know, lived on through oral storytelling and teaching and and through books. Because it is, when you see the connectivity in these systems, it is phenomenal, the amount of wisdom that is baked in. Anyway, I just went on a tangent, but I love it. Yeah, I learned so I, much. Yeah. Yeah. I, the sun card is very, very close. Again, it's, oh, I just had a thought, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like if you live a, what would be deemed a typical, you know, full life, like let's say zero to 80, I'll just make up a number, right? But you live to be of old age. Let's put it that way. There is that, that thing that seems to happen when people get into their, their elder years and they, return to those childlike qualities. They sometimes need assistance and care and, um, you know, more often than not, you know, superseding any, I don't know if superseding is the right word, but basically like excluding any, uh, you know, dementia or something like that, that might affect the personality. People return to that more joyful, peaceful state that's like a child. And so it's just so cool, like the way the fool and the sun relate. And it's like, the fool's almost that zygote stage, and then the sun would be old age, and you're about to go before judgment and close out. Like, did you pass the test? Like, did you pass? And if not, hey, you're going to get recycled into the next, the yeah. next timeline anyway. So I think that's why that's where that verse comes from. You need to have the heart of a child to be able to enter heaven's gates. And even the ancient mm-hmm. Egyptians have this mythology of when they they believe that when you die. The goddess Ma'at, who is the feathered goddess, she's the goddess of justice, and she's going to take one of her feathers and weigh your heart on the scale against her feather. And if your heart is heavier than one of her feathers, then basically you don't get to pass go. You got to go back and play some more of the video game. And uh, I just love it. Yeah, you need heart a light. You need a light heart, and yeah, it's it's that fool thing. But be a fool with faith. I mean, people are literally missing out on this superpower of just belief in God. And that sounds so cringy, but it's only because we live in a sick society that's programmed you away from God so that you cringe because you want to fit in or whatever, or, or the religion. Cringe from your own nature. You cringe. It's like, it's like, it's the, it's the, um, what do they call it? Like the anti-human agenda. I don't like the transhuman agenda where it's like, Everything like they want you to put chips in your head and be, you know, half computer or, you know, optimized by computers, by AI. And I love AI. Don't get me wrong. I love it. But I don't, I also want to retain my human nature. I want to have it as a tool, use it as a tool. And, you know, cringing at the word God or cringing at the God 
like qualities that you embody or the God force that's running through you is literally cringing at yourself, which is exactly the saddest thing. And we've been programmed to do that for a reason. It is not (laughs) accidental. Yeah. I studied, yeah, I studied (laughs) communication way back in the day in college. And this is, you know, before this huge proliferation of social media and just the basics, the foundations of when you learn about communication in a business sense and an advertising sense and a marketing sense, these things do not happen accidentally. These major messages and themes that begin flowing through society, they are planned and they are programmed on purpose for reasons. And just disconnecting people from their faith um, in something else, it's an absolute crime. So I'm glad that we're at an age right now that People are starting to reclaim that and go, hey, you know what? I'm not buying into this. I'm going to pay attention to how I feel. And it's like if the, if you are feeling something inside and you feel that connection, that is real. What you're being told is just static and noise. You have to be tapped into your body. And once you do tap into your body, there is no doubt. I was at a friend's house last night and she is um, absolutely incredible. I'm going to have her on the podcast here soon. She's releasing a book that she channeled in 18 days. And we're actually going to be publishing it on my my publishing company, Avant Books. And I was at her place last night and read this book. And it's incredible. It's incredible. And in the experience of reading it, I felt a cellular shift in my body happening. And it the book is intended to reconnect us with the I am. And in reading these channeled words, wow, I mean, I dropped in so deep and there's no doubt, there's just no doubt, you know, sitting sober on someone's couch, reading a book and you can feel your cells reorganizing and you begin having that conversation with your breath and the flow of life again. And I tap into you know, that state or something similar to it, I should say, maybe not always that deep every day. It's just part of my life now. It's, you know, you meditate every day, you're tapping in every day. It's just part of life. And when you do there, there's no question and no one can, no one can tell you otherwise once you have that connection. Absolutely. I can't imagine life without meditating. I'm meditating right now, to be honest. It becomes me too. Yeah. <laughs> becomes that's, an automatic that's how I was habit. Like, oh, my stomach is tight. My stomach's a little tight. Why is my stomach tight? Like, yeah. And that hmm. that that cringe thing, it's been weaponized against you, against all of us, you know, to to try to get us to fit in. And what it is, it's just muscular holding patterns. So with the breath, if you become aware of what muscles are tensing, uh, uh, tensing, tap into yourself, really check in and go within and, and say, what am I feeling and where am I tensing? And then breathe through it and let it go. You'll be able to overcome this because your fulfillment is in direct proportion to you overcoming that cringe of what it's like to really access your true self. And... Mm-hmm. All this spirituality stuff is psychology, which is what I love. I'm so passionate about the fact that spirituality and psychology are one and the same thing because the spirit is the life that that gives our mind its movement and gives our body its movement. And in yoga, in the ancient yoga texts like Patanjali, which are really worth reading, he describes that the body and the mind are one. 
It's just that the body is on this end of the pole, the dense pole, and the mind is on the fine end of the pole. So the mind is very, very fine. You can't quite see it, but you can see its effects through the body. So the mind and body are two poles of the same thing. And the body is the mind. And bioenergetics, another great area of study, is the process of breathing through these muscular holding patterns, which really restrict the flow of the orgasm, which not, not the orgasm itself, but the movement of orgasm, which is this flowing thing. And when you watch little babies, when they breathe while they sleep, their breath causes their body to move in a wave. And that wave is what we are. And that's the or orgiastic, you know, movement through the body, which is the creative energy. It's, it's sexual energy at the base of the spine, but that's the energy we receive from the rays of the sun. And when we don't just squander it and spill it through lust or whatever, but when we allow it to create this tension that goes up the belly, through the heart, through your throat, and then eventually up to your head center, that's why the sun is exalted in Aries in astrology, because when the heart, which is the sun, reaches the mind through the creative sexual urge now you can create things now you can build that business now you can do that thing you want to do so we've got to work through our traumas that cause the muscular holding patterns which restrict the flow of energy and it's just because of fear but if you love yourself through it and you can practice with love and bring in awareness you'll get through it because love conquers everything love is the dominating force in the universe Absolutely. I love that you just went there. It's the second chakra, Svaristana, and it's both sensual pleasure. It's the ability to receive and give pleasure, and it's also the source of our creativity. Our sensuality, our sexuality, and our creativity are divinely connected in the second chakra and our sacral right there. And our sensuality and sexuality have been weaponized against us for generations. Women are shamed for their natural eros and flow and movement. And men have been absolutely tricked, played, and men and women, but men especially with porn. It is literally zapping your life force. And I'll hear guys say, well, I don't watch it that much. I'm like, I can't, I don't I personally don't want to date or be in relation with someone who engages in that. That is not a judgment because it's been weaponized and made part of culture. There's jokes about it. It's discernment. On, there's jokes about it. It's discernment. And there's jokes about it and people saying it's not a big deal and it's part of a healthy sex life. And my experience, it's not. And it's, it, you know, you have to go back to when you're given something for free, it is never free. Is never free when you, oh, look at this new app, this new, they just need my email. That gives them a tie in to your behavior and they can market to you more effectively. I've been in marketing for 17 years and people don't understand the level of mind manipulation that can be done once you're gathering data from all of these third party data sources and you're compiling very accurate avatars for who people are. You are an avatar to these companies. So back to the, the, the Svarisana, the second chakra, the sacral chakra, you mm -hmm. can, uh, by our nature, our sensuality, our sexuality, our creativity are tied together. And so if you come in and commandeer the sensual or sexual side, um, again, I know both genders are watching porn, right? It's especially for men and young boys, it's a plague. 
and it's destroying people's ability to be in relationship. I was on a date with someone a few months ago and he flat out said, oh yeah, it's kind of fried my ability to have connection. And I listened to him. I'm not going to judge him, but do you think I'm still dating him? Absolutely not. He needs to work on that. I'm not going to be in a relationship with someone who can't connect. Yeah. He knows it and he's still watching it. It's addictive and it's, it's designed to destroy that power in your creative center and to suck your life force. On the reverse side, right? Shaming. So there's two mechanisms that happen, right? With men, that was sort of the path of attack. With women, it's the shaming of our sexuality, right? So that it becomes perverse and becomes hidden. And um, just all of these, there's so many transmutations that happen with it that are not of a positive orientation. They're, They're not helpful. And with that, Again, all of our life force is then consumed with dealing with, am I too much or too little? Because it's such a, that's where life is born. So when you make someone consumed about not being enough or being too much and the vital area of uh, the vital core of like how we're, how we come to be on this planet, you have no time left to be creative. And when you have no time left to be creative, guess what else you don't have time to do? Think fucking critically. And in 2020, I was I was shocked. I was f bomb over and over shocked that so many people fell hook, line, and sinker for what is now being and it's been being proven the whole time. People didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to have the sun card. They didn't want to see the truth. They didn't want to face the truth that they'd been lied to. But what is now unequivocally proven beyond a shadow of a doubt is that there was a a mass, a global mass agenda to lie to people, to confuse them, to create chaos, and to shut down their critical thinking skills. And why was that able to happen? Why were so many people tricked into doing something that is, has been proven to do something that, in most cases, did more damage than good to their health? You know, why, why were so many people why were we why was our our critical why were our critical thinking skills hijacked so easily fear it's because our creativity wasn't turned on mhm and it's all because it's because of this this tie in here so absolutely you know mm-hmm. this our center of gravity is right where that sacral chakra is it's called in chinese um it's called the dantian it's four fingers below your belly button so just put your four fingers below your belly button that's literally the center of gravity in your body is your sexual center. So if you're not centered there in a healthy way, if you're not rooted, you're going to get knocked over. You're going to be the plaything of the elites who are master psychologists. They're going to hijack that force, which that sexual force, which makes you sharp in the mind. It makes you pierce through ideas so you can see what's underneath, what's really going on. And if that's hijacked, they got you. They're going to control you through fear, through food, through sensationalism. It's just it, you're hypnotized because hypnotized, yeah, hypnotized, mm-hmm. and numb. You're numbed down and hypnotized. You don't have connection to your vital life force. David Palmer Leo King talks about this a lot. The eros and um, being connected to that, and yeah. Um, you know, you know who else talks? I may have actually made a mistake there. I don't know if it's David so much as Aubrey Marcus. Excuse me. I listen to both of them. But Aubrey Marcus talks a lot about Eros, and he's talking about it more and more with his studies with 
uh, Rabbi Mark Gaffney. But Eros is the life force flowing. It's the breath. It's that prana. It's that life force. And it very much, very much tied to and associated with the energies flowing through our sacral chakra. I loved that um, four fingers down from the belly button. I envisioned, I visualized and kind of did that as you were saying it. And for me, I feel that sensation point and it's very tightly uh, correlated to the tip of my tailbone, which is root chakra, muladhara, number one. So very much the center of gravity. Very yeah. interesting. Indeed. So. Yeah, yeah. And I, lo- I, I love how spirit, the, the, the spirit, you know, the spirituality things we're talking about, it's mirrored in the body quite Quite literally, your center of gravity is your sexual center. Oh wow, that's got to mean something. <laughs> and that's got to mean something. Okay, how do we hijack that? Flood the internet with free porn and tell people that it's a normal part of life. Desensitize them. Get their, you know, destroy the gray matter in their brain. It's detrimental on a level that people do not understand. It's eating. It's consuming poison. I have no room for judgment, right? I've experienced yeah. a lot. I put myself in a position to experience a lot. And so I'm speaking from a experienced point of view in this area. I am too. Yeah, definitely. I'm a big sinner. <laughs> but uh, I do big sin. Oh, no, I don't. And not, not any. <laughs> but to That's help people, funny. to help people who are listening to this conversation, first step is to give praise to the most high that you have a desire to get out. Because if you actually desire to, to redirect your libido so that it creates things in your life and brings fulfillment, that means you have an opening. That means God is literally helping you and pulling you out of there because you have a desire for it. So the next step is you have to learn how to be present, aka how to meditate, aka how to look within and tune in. Because the lust, the tension that you feel from the lust, you have to go through that and allow it to be there in this present with you and just be with it. And as long as you don't drain it, you don't act on this desire to watch porn or whatever, but go move through that tension, you'll be guided on what the creative thing is that you need to do. But unfortunately, you have to go through the pain of the lust, that tension of the desire. And then from there, as long as you bring full awareness to it, don't try to drown it out with food or movies or anything. Just let it be there. It'll get easier. Eventually, you're going to mount it. In esoteric literature, it's symbolized by the beast. You have to get on top of this beast. And Sagittarius, you know, the centaur symbolizes this as well. It has a heavy tie to the sacral chakra. It's about getting, realizing you're sitting on a beast. Your lower half is basically this animal and you got to just sit on it. And if you have the will to want to redirect your libido, that's how Carl Jung refers to it. Understand where it is you can direct it. That would be meaningful for you. For me, my libido is aimed at, which is the, the arrow of the centaur of Sagittarius. It's aimed at this thing that we're doing here of helping people overcome, overcoming fear with love reuniting heaven to earth by us understanding what astrology is really here to help us understand about our world. And all my sexual energy is just geared towards that. And now I can't help it. You know, it's way I just prefer that over porn or anything. And if you keep on with this, if you stop spilling your seed, if you're a man, or if if you're a woman and you're you're dealing with this as well, you're going to find 
as you stop leaking this psychic energy of your sexuality, you're going to find that you, you have desires well up within you that are of a different kind and color. You know, I used to love writing as a kid. I had this, I would write this novel as this kid and I would just always write. And then, you know, now that I'm on semen retention and I'm not spilling my seed, it's like these old desires are coming back. Like, I want to write, I want to write a novel. I want to create this world. It's just this creative energy and it's worth the challenge to get it under control, my guys and my girls. It's really, really worth it. Absolutely. But you got to go into the emptiness. You have to figure out why you think something's missing, why you're not good enough and betraying yourself so that you can maintain that. Why? And you have to ask why. And don't say, I don't know, because the mind will go, I don't know. Don't stop there. Just let that thought pass because that's a coping. You do know why. Just keep keep contemplating, keep uh, inquiring inwardly and you'll find the answer. And so just find out why you'll see why and then you breathe through it and then let it go, determine to let it go and you'll heal, but you got to go first and you have to look within. There's my, the best Carl Jung quote that I love is whoever looks outside dreams, but who looks inside awakes. And as and you're doing the work as an Aquarius. Your soul is here for this age, for this reason, to speak this truth, to penetrate through the lies. And we have to get people to look within because we're all programmed to look without, to look outside for approval or for validation or for the signs. But the signs follow. They don't precede. This is the best thing I've learned as an astrologer. If you're looking for signs, no. Once you assume the consciousness, once you make the inner decision, the signs will follow. They'll show you where to keep going. They will validate, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll show you that you're on the right path or the wrong path or how to adjust or how to adapt. But you got, the cause is inside. Everything we're all searching for, it's inside. And we just don't know that. We've not been taught that. This whole world is set up to make it really appear that what we need is on the outside. <laughs> but that's an illusion. And you'll awaken from the illusion as you keep looking within. It's got to become a practice, unfortunately. It needs to be a habit because we've been habituated to do the opposite. Unfortunately was the key word there. <laughs> Un unfortunately was the key word because it's, it's not easy. Wow, nope. Christian. Thank you. Just so much right there to unpack. First of all, I didn't know that the Sagittarius, the symbol for Sagittarius was um, the, centa the centauron. Am I saying that right? C-E-N. Centaur. Can you pronounce it again? Centaur. Yeah. The centaur. Yeah. And it's the half man, half beast. He's man on top, beast on bottom. And I never thought about that in correlation to the chakra system. And wow, what a visualization when you think of your root and sacral, root, sacral, and third solar plexus as the beast. Yeah. And then you go heart up and you're in um, more of the, you have the ability to be aware and make conscious choices. So just like you said, um, kind of centering yourself on top of the beast rather than letting, because if you think about the, if you visualize actually a centaur, right? A man on top, beast on bottom. Who's going to be in control? The beast can run way faster than the person. So there has to be that conscious choice to control and not, and again, it's not control in a strict way. It's come into, come into sharp relationship with, come into um, aligned relationship with, come into just awareness of relationship with your mind. It's not about having strict rules, but come into awareness. And how do you do that? You sit 
with no distraction and you learn to breathe and then you practice it throughout the day. Um, it, it, it does become second nature, the way that you get up to get a glass of water all throughout the day. Before we got on for this this interview today, this podcast today, I'd had quite a busy day. And um, for about 15 minutes before, I just laid on the couch and put a cover over my head to kind of uh, put myself in almost like a, a deprivation, a, a sensory deprivation and just breathed. You know, I just took time to breathe and I was like, oh man, I've had a lot going on today. This is overwhelming how much I've done and just got myself back to center. But that's having a relationship with yourself and not just running and going and going until you're just this, this twister storm of emotions. And when people do that for years and years and years and years and years, you do become hypnotized in your own skin and you become very unconscious and not judging. It's just what happens in today's society, but we do have the knowledge and the tools now to counteract that. And we will all be much better off as more and more people learn about this. And I think a lot of people are aware of it. I don't think this is secret esoteric knowledge anymore. It's out there. People are aware of it. Some people may poo-poo it and say, oh, look at those, whatever their term is going to be. Older people might say hippies. You know, Some people might call you new age or um, woo-woo. But it's all very, very real. Once you experience it, you're like, okay, cool. Yeah, it's it's as real as the sky is blue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I loved that. I also want to bring up a point. I think you explained it so well, so I'm not bringing this up because you didn't explain it well. But the thing with, you know, we're talking about like, or Christian was talking about the idea of lust and, um, you know, channeling sexual energy for creative energy or the ability to help. Yes. And that doesn't mean that there's not room for sex and fun and sensuality and all of that. There's, there's definitely room for that. It's that that energy is channeled for both the creativity and the sensuality are based in the sacral. If you're using all of it on lust and not you know, a tapped in sensuality, you do not have the space for creativity. If you're channeling all of it for creativity and not tapping into the sensuality, you're again, you're in imbalance in that, and that will reflect in some area of your life. And that is the case, whether you have a partner or not, whether you choose to be with someone or not, that energy should be expressed. And I, I don't want, I don't want to use the word should, but it's, you are designed to express that energy. And so it's something to consider. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. The the symbolism works great through astrology. That's why Sagittarius comes after the sign of Scorpio. Do you want me to touch a little Mm -hmm. bit on the the symbolism? Yeah. Oh yeah, go for it. You're like, you're a well of wisdom. Absolutely. (laughs) Thank you. Tell us about the scorpion. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, that's the sting of sexuality. I mean, the only people who commit suicide are the ones who've gone past puberty. Little children don't really do that. And it's because they bit the apple. So that's the sting of the scorpion. Not to be grim or really dark, but that is what it is. We only we only really start suffering once once our sexual center is activated, you know, after puberty. And then from there, life gets real. And then after Scorpio, which is the sign of sex, death, and rebirth, the rebirth is revealed in Sagittarius to be this sexual energy is mobilizing you. It's the stallion. It's this horsepower, okay? And it's going to take you somewhere. So you either stay calm so that the horse will be calm because the animal is going to follow your lead or the sexual energy tramples you 
you know, and we have a lot of people on earth just getting trampled by porn. And that's what it is. They're just trampled by their own desire. But it's a trade-off. Everything in the universe is compensatory. It's all compensation. That's why sex feels so good because it's a trade-off. You can either feel that intense pleasure and, and indulge and lose your life, or you can channel it into genius ideas. And that's why Sagittarius is the sign of the philosopher and you know the genius so all the great geniuses in the world they were weirdos on, on some level of it, and because they were they learned how to redirect their libido so it's a mm-hmm. it's a trade off and but then after sagittarius we get capricorn which is the the state it's the crystallized culmination of what it means to be a collective so it all starts in libra libra is the recognition of the other oh i desire the other now it's scorpio now now there's that sex and then in Sagittarius it's either it's either mobilized to take you where you want to go creatively or where it tramples you. And um yeah, so Wow, you just that exp- you're blowing my mind, Christian. I knew you would. I knew you would. You were just talking about gosh, I'm having this vivid image of the chariot card right now. Hmm. The chariot card in tarot, you see someone sitting on like an old school, let's say like a buggy or a cart or a chariot, right? They're sitting there in the chariot or on top of the chariot. They do not have a hold of the reins, but there are two horses or two beasts that pull the chariot in a really fast rate of speed. And one of the beasts is white and one is dark and shadow and light. Yeah, And it is reminding me of this this idea of the sacral and the splitting and Sagittarius and the centaur, which is we're having one energy center that is designed to feed two things that are critical in your life. So it's a split wire system and you have to learn how to manage the energy that's flowing through that. And that just adds for me, wow, another way to interpret and feel into the chariot card for when I'm doing readings is learning how to manage energy that flows from a single source but is intended to have two outputs right yeah absolutely and that's why you know in buddhism it's the middle way or in christianity it's a straight Mm -hmm. and narrow we're supposed to ride this razor's edge because white is lucifer that's why the freemasons have the black and white tiles on their floor white is lucifer it's this electrical energy which you see that lightning in the tower card and in the Christian myth, it's, you know, Satan fell from heaven as a bolt of lightning because he had pride. He wanted to be like God. So our tower, we're going to build up this tower of pride and it's going to fall. That's why pride goes before a fall. You always want to search. And that's the karmic. Uh, we just talked about that. The, the tower card is the karmic. It reduces down to seven and it's the karm. It's the lightning bolt of illumination. It's becoming yeah. aware of all false light. Mm-hmm. And then, like you're saying, and it's the apple, the tower, it's the, the apple on your phone. Down. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's the apple on your phone. It's it's the temptation to. I've always thought of that. I've always thought of the apple on you know Apple, the company, right? And it has the bite out of it. And I've always thought, oh my god, Steve Jobs was letting <sighs> us know, you know. And I have so many beliefs on these visionaries. Like, are they fully human? Maybe. But they may also be hybrid intelligence because, damn, if he didn't put a bitten apple as the logo of this company that is now, it's our life, right? Mm-hmm. It's taken over the ecosystem. And there was a warning right there. You can have this. You're taking the bite, like in the story of Adam and Eve. And once you take that bite, 
you're cast out of the Garden of Eden in the, you know, the Bible story. And there's repercussions with that. It's like you can live in ignorance and bliss as God's children in this blissful, ignorant garden, or you can take the bite of the wisdom and have access to the intelligence. And then you're out in the real world on your own. And it's it's in the logo. It's like, here you go. You're going to take it. And we all took it so fast. And I wouldn't go back, right? That's the hero's journey. Yeah. Uh, wow. Yeah. Wow. I mean, our, our world is run by black magicians. And the sooner we wake up to that, the sooner we can uh, overthrow them. And because they're just the master psychologists. Magic is just creating change with your will. It's all psychology. And we got the white and the black. So it includes both. We got to learn to include both. But realize that it's both an illusion. We got to ride that razor's edge. And I think we overcomplicate it because the mind gets involved. It really comes back to tapping with the breath and realize who is watching. Who is watching? <laughs> Who's watching this drama wow. unfold? You know, yeah. it's fun. It's a fun yeah. journey. It is. I didn't realize um, the middle way um, from Buddhism I'm familiar with, but I didn't realize that the more Christian or Victorian line of the straight and narrow was also mimicking the middle way. I always thought straight and narrow is like very strict, which is interpreted to be that way. But probably, you know, you're talking about your Christian mysticism. Yeah. I now see that that could be interpreted as the middle way, which is not a strict thing at all. It's more for your own benefit. It's like, hey, just stay on the middle way within Buddhism, right? Don't allow yourself to get taken too far one way or the other in your emotions and your behavior. Um, Because it is, it does require a lot of energy to get back to the point you need to be on eventually. And by the way, the re- like the whole story of the New Testament is Christ coming back and showing us how foolish we are by trying to keep the law. Because it's not by our works that we make our way into heaven. It's by the heart. God's judging the heart. Is the heart pure? Okay, cool. You can get into heaven. And heaven is right here, by the way. It's here and now. It's right at hand. He's not, we're not, he's not going to allow evil people into heaven. It wouldn't be heaven if, it, if that were the case. You have to clean up the heart. And the only way to do that is to forgive as you are already forgiven because God's not judging what you do. He's judging the heart. So you got to forgive and then you could be re- for- you could be forgiven, which means you re- return to wholeness for yourself. You stop judging yourself for what you've done. And then mm-hmm. yeah. the real middle way is to figure out what is truly worth attaching to in this life. Because if everything fades, everything dissolves, everything changes. If you attach to anything on earth, including a human being, you will suffer. So the only thing that, is, that we should really attach to is God. And when you learn how to attach to that, nothing on earth can be used against you. And you won't suffer anymore. Or rather, you'll understand how to, how to suffer. You know, in- That's, yeah, I was going to say, it's not that you don't suffer, but you learn. You have the expanded awareness and learn how to suffer with more grace. Mm-hmm. For yourself and for the experience, and you move through it faster instead mm-hmm. of retaining the energy. And for people because listening who. Oh. Last thing, I, ahead, I swear, I promise. <laughs> when, <laughs> when, you, when, you attach, when you attach to God, and I'm kind of leaving that up to your own interpretation to figure out what that is for yourself. When you attach to God, you won't need anyone and anything. You can have without needing. And that way, you won't squeeze your partner to death. And then they slip out of your hand like a bar of soap. You won't keep chasing this carrot at the end of the stick and going through these same patterns over and over. You, 
you can have without needing. And that's an amazing place to be where you can truly love somebody because loving them is letting them go, letting them be who they are. That's real love. Uh, you know, just like parents, if they allow their child to be who that child is, to grow into who they're meant to be, that's love. And then the child has an amazing life. So mm -hmm. yeah, then we can overcome the neediness, which taints a lot of our interactions and our relationships and our sexuality. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And you actually, you touched on it a bit. I was going to say for people listening who, for one reason or another, have an aversion to the word God, there's no dogma here. It's attached that to whatever. You can say the universe. You can call it your breath. God, there, another word for God is breath. <laughs> another word for God is universe. Another word for God is nature. So transfer those words as needed and the knowledge is it's the value of the knowledge still retains so okay one more question and then oh my gosh i mean why did i think i was like oh do you have like an hour why did i think this would take an hour i mean i should have known that we would be talking for like we could talk for seven more hours absolutely um, but i am <laughs> absolutely i'm gonna go ahead and put you on the spot a little bit here but I know that you offer personalized forecasts for people and these four, and it's based on their birth chart and it offers like a detailed look into the themes that are likely to kind of emerge in their lives over the coming months or the year. It's not fortune telling. It's not anything like that. It's just, Hey, these are, this is how things are coming in based on your birth chart. I think you offer those on, is it Patreon you offer those? Or am I getting that confused? That's right. Yeah. My Patreon, you can go there. You can sign up for as little as a dollar and you can get my monthly sun sign report. Uh, there's a deeper one where if you sign up as a light worker, that's $20 a month or you can do 40 a month and I'll provide a video, but that's a total personalized report all on your chart, letting you know like what energy is hitting you in the next month and how you can leverage it. It's not fortune telling. Like you said, like somebody's going to bring you flowers this Tuesday. Hooray. No, it's like... <laughs> People may be more open to wanting to, they may be more attracted to you this week. So this would be the week to let people in, work with them, just kind of giving you a roadmap. So yeah, I do provide it's, that. Yeah, it's it's optimizing the energies. Um, it's the same thing with numbers, right? And numerology, people say, oh, it's crazy. It's like, no, it's not crazy. It's why companies go IPO on certain days with certain planetary alignments and they encode certain numbers in their you know documents. It's why I think it's, this is used by the most powerful people on earth, banking institutions, governments. This is a real thing. This is a real thing that's used. So anyway, yeah. back to, I did have a question there. I just, I couldn't remember where people could find it, but I'm really curious and I am putting you on the spot here, but I know you've done the research, so I know you'll be able to answer it. I have faith that you will be able to answer it. When you look forward into 2024, from a holistic, big picture, zoomed out perspective. And I don't want you to give away anything that, you know, you would charge for, right? Like just keep us at a high level, but with little nuggets that are great. What sense do you get regarding the energetic themes that all of us as a collective will be experiencing, regardless of our own personal birth charts, based on the energy hitting earth over 2024? Sure. So 2024. It looks really good for relationships. The astrology gets really kind of crazy, very Neptunian during election time for America. So I think there's going to be in the later part of the year, a lot of hype 
a lot of emotional energy. And we just, we got to learn to stay calm and to breathe and to govern ourselves and understand that the people are the ones who are really in control. And we're at a place where the government, like people are afraid of the government, but also the reverse is true. The government's afraid of its people. It views us as like <laughs> a scary horde that's going to trample it. And they, they think they need to yeah. control us for our own good. And a lot of people think also think that they need to be controlled. And so as we wake up and step into this Aquarian age, 2024 is like, there's going to be a lot that happens, especially on April 20th. We have a Jupiter-Uranus conjunction at a certain degree that's related to when Britain declared war on Germany for World War II. I just think in our own personal lives, we need to understand what we really value. And the way I look at everything that's happening this year and with Pluto going into Aquarius, if you pay attention, we're set up so that if they get rid of electricity, they take your power off, they get rid of the internet, people are going to have the ground completely swept out from underneath them. And so this is not to make because anybody we're so afraid. Reliant. And, yeah. and you're saying that because we're so reliant is what you're saying, basically. Yeah, exactly. And try to get some self-reliance. Try to grow your own food. Try to get back to the roots of what it is to be a human on this earth. And that way, you know, this rug that they provided, if you are standing on it, like we all are, once it gets ripped out, you'll be okay. If it does get ripped out. I just, lo I just noticed, how are we being set up? And if you really pay attention to how it is, things are set up. Yeah, I mean, Pluto... There would be immense trauma worldwide if the internet was gone for even a week. People would lose it. So try to try to get calm. Just the addiction. And, like, yeah, like the mm -hmm. reliance, the addiction, the all of it would create a big emotional response. I've never heard anybody say that. It's like, it's like, look at the rug that you're standing on. <laughs> like, do you own that rug? No, 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 no. We think we do because we have our you know, well, that's my website or that's my social account or my bank account. It's like, what is it hosted on? Not yours. You're renting space in the cloud. Wow. So yeah. interesting. Look at who's holding something onto the rug. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Who's holding the edge of your rug? You said something interesting. You said a focus on relationships in 2024, uh, you know, based on these the planetary um, configurations that we'll be rolling through or that we will be rolling through, I should say, that we will be moving in. Um, it's interesting because we're also in a universal year eight, which is a focus on money, power, and success. And what interesting timing that we're numeral in numerology in a universal year eight at a year when the cosmos would encourage us to look more at relationships. And of course, we just went into Pluto and Aquarius. Aquarius is very much about being your own unique individual while still retaining your connection to and valuing the community you're in. It's about being a leader in your community, leading people with the things you have skill and ability in, not standing on a stage in front of people. That's Capricorn, right? A hierarchy. I'm above you. I'm, I'm in charge. I'm the boss. Aquarius is we're all in the same soup and there are certain people that are better at certain things than others. It's so very interesting that there's a focus on relationships from your perspective cosmically at the same time that universally um, in numerology, we're being 
uh, we're being encouraged or there is a natural focus towards money, power, success. So it's like there's this relate, like building relationships to make money rather than stepping on people and destroying relationship or, you know, only working with yourself to make money. So what a beautiful confluence of like three things coming together at once. So I think oh, that's a good totally. takeaway for us to maybe end on is like, how are you, how are we all, you know, how are we all valuing relationships and how are we finding that balance between the relationships we have and how to make money? How are we working together to make money? How are we working to get, and not even money, resources, right? It's, it's resources, right? Money is just another word for the energetic resources. And as the world continues to just evolve, and in some cases it feels like it's devolving, but we know that in the greater scheme of things, it is evolving and ascending. But in those moments where there's a sense of devolution, you know, rug ripped out, in whatever form that may happen or will happen or could happen. What are your relationships like? Do you have resources and power? And do you have those things? And you would have those things by building community and relationship, right? If the internet was out for a week or your power did go out, do you have an, do you know your neighbor? Like, do you know your neighbor? Can you go next door? And can you can you rely on the people that are physically close to you, not on the internet, right? Internet's gone. Oh, it's like being, um, it's like, it's like virtual reality, right? Internet goes off, <sighs> online world's gone. People open their eyes. Oh shit. I can see the moment in a movie, right? If I'm a movie, if I'm a movie director, like I just saw that moment <sighs> lights out. Oh my God, where am I? People looking around, like, do you even know what your neighbor, like what color your neighbor's house is? Like, that's the kind of point we're at now where there's probably a large portion of people who don't even know the color of their neighbor's house. And it's because we're so immersed in our online worlds. And we just had this snowstorm in Nashville. We had snow for a little over a week. It was absolutely beautiful, a winter wonderland. But I have a neighbor across the street and she's uh, well into her 80s and lives alone. And I've gone over before and chatted with her. But before the storm was coming in, I just walked over there and knocked on the door. And I said, um, hey, Etta, you know, do you need anything? Do you need any food? Nope. My brother just bought me. I'm all stocked up. She was telling me about her trash cans and she didn't want to fall. And I said, I do not want to see you outside by the trash cans. Like if anything needs to happen, like I'll do it. And, you know, if you need anything, you know, you let me know and I can bring food over. If your heat goes out, you come over. But, and she was so grateful. It's like, those are important. Those are important connections to have. And I'm not saying that like, oh, I'm a great person. It's just, I'm even starting to realize more and more and more like, I know my neighbors in front of me, you know, they moved in, they're a new couple. I didn't, you know, I was like, oh, I should take them something. I should take them like a bottle of wine or some cookies. And I thought about baking them some cookies. And instead, I just went over and I said, hey, to the woman who lives there. And I said, hey, do you want to come over and bake some cookies? I was going to bring you some. And she was like, oh my God, yes. And she came over. We got along so well. She's freaking amazing. And like, three hours, we baked cookies together and got to know each other. Instead of me just isolated in my house, baking cookies, dropping it off and saying like, nice to meet you, like surface level. I know this woman now and she knows me. Just little things like that. It's like, I know the people around me. Again, not I'm so great. You don't know your neighbors. It's just, these are the things that I think are important for all of us to be focusing on the people in your community. Who can you rely on? If your world 
was condensed down to one square mile or less. If a situation happened, are you resourceful? Are you reliant? Are you self-reliant? Absolutely. And that, yeah, that's what we're yeah. getting back to is real connection of what it's really about, mm-hmm. where humans connect mm-hmm. and why. Because if there was no power, yeah, you we would all be going to our neighbors saying, hey, what's up? What, what can I trade? You know, I, we, <laughs> we got a lot of beans. Do you have any rice? Um, you do you have any daughters? Because I have a son and like, you know, we got to keep the race going. Like we would get really back to our I would stuff. be like, yeah, I and it would be me. I'd be like, I've got some tarot decks and crystals, and yeah. what do you have? Some art supplies. Yeah, that's. I actually, I, I actually am prepared a little bit, but yeah, but I th- what you have. Think about what you have and like what you offer, and like how can you be of service to your community? What would people? What do you have, or what can you do that would be? You know, maybe you know how to fix something, or you um, are really good at, I don't know, just whatever. It's like, think about what you can contribute and start doing little things before, you know, proverbial rug is ripped out. Yeah. This is the relationships are changing and we're going to become much more connected this year in 2024. It's just, is it going to be with, is it going to involve the internet or is it going to be, we're going to get way more connected because there will be no more internet. I don't know. We'll see. And we have 20 years ahead of us with Pluto and Aquarius to see what that is. But here in 2024, the week of they, of um, Valentine's Day in February, Mars and Venus are coming together on top of Pluto. So this symbolizes a whole new cycle of how we relate as men and women and how we appreciate our differences. And in Aquarius, it's about really understanding what makes what makes us the same too, though. And so there's a new cycle of relationships that we're stepping into. And as I would encourage the individual in your own life to ask yourself what your blocks are when it comes to relating with your opposite, because it's the yin and the yang. It's not the yang and the yang. And if it's, you know, if it's, (laughs) even if it's, even if it's two guys, one person is always going to play the other end of the pole because that's what creates sexual polarity. So just try and see what you're projecting on others, see what the patterns are in your relationships and just get ready to really regenerate and evolve yourself when it comes to how you relate with people and forgive your father. He couldn't help it. Forgive your mother. He couldn't help it because if you resent, if you resent your mother, you hate all women. That's just the way it's going to be because she's an archetype. She's it's in your psyche. Those are the core figures. And if you didn't have them in your life, Forgive them for not being there. Forgive whoever filled that role for you. And just realize as an adult, you are your own father now. You are your own mother. And so integrate this stuff. Forgive and you'll be guided on how to come into a healthy relationship. And because we're so utilitarian at this point when it comes to our relationships, because we get all our dopamine from social media. So in our relationships, we go, if you're not providing anything for me, I don't need you. I'm going to walk away from you. And People are doing this more and more because they're under the illusion that, you know, because of what social media does to our dopamine. And like, that's not, that's not what relationships are really about. It's the people who love you, you know, and we, we just forgot what love is, you know, we think it's this Disney emotional stuff, but it's not, it's, yeah. Well, it sounds like we're going to be learning that in 2024 based on the focus on relationships and I'm definitely, I'm, okay, so you guys, obviously, Christian is an expert at this stuff. 
Um, if you feel like you have work to do in this area, Christian is absolutely the go-to for this. I'll put everything in the show notes so you can find him easily. But yeah, just what a what an interesting, incredible, scary, awesome, fun, thrilling, who knows what the hell's going on time we're in, but I am fully here for it. And I'm so grateful that you took your time um, and shared it with me and also anyone who will listen to this. Your time is incredibly valuable. You've done the work. You know your shit. And I learned so much from listening to you. So it's such a pleasure. I really appreciate you being here on the show today. Thank you, Aubrey, for having me. I learned a lot from you, too. This was a blast. I love this conversation. and. I just want people to know that I'm here for you. That's the reason I exist. That's the whole reason I have an Instagram is to serve you. I want to help you with your forgiveness issues so that you can become free. You deserve it. So anything you need help with, please email me at uh, christianclausner.astro at gmail.com or I'm at christianclausner on Instagram. And I'm teaching classes every Friday, really deep astrology classes, very thorough. We're going from the history to the practice to chart interpretation. We're going through everything and I'm teaching classes every Friday all the way to March. So if you'd like to sit in on those classes or get all the classes and get my astrology course, this could be the year where you really learn astrology if you are interested in that. So reach out to me and yeah, we'll see how I can help. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you, Christian. And until next time, thanks for joining me here. Keep exploring, keep questioning and stay immersed in the infinite drop.